we are continuing our sermon series on the Holy Spirit, and I am wanting to uh, read a poem for you, a poem that some of you might be really, really familiar with, um, and were heavily impacted perhaps like when I was in college and some of you when you were a little older. It's, it's a poem called Footprints. Anybody know Footprints in the Sand? Anybody heard that? Yeah. Footprints. This is how the poem goes. You ready? So it says, uh, One night I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord. Many scenes from my life flashed across the sky. In each scene I noticed footprints in the sand. Sometimes there were two sets of footprints. Other times there was one only. This bothered me because I noticed that during the low periods of my life, when I was suffering from anguish, sorrow, or defeat, I could see only one set of footprints. So I said to the Lord, you promised me, Lord, that if I followed you, you would walk with me always. But I've noticed that during the most trying periods of my life, there's only been one set of footprints in the sand. Why? When I needed you most, have you not been there for me and the lord replied the years when you have seen only one set of footprints my child is when i carried you (laughs) what a bunch of baloney (laughs) i'm sorry if that offends some of you Don't get me wrong. I, mean, I read this in college. I had a mug. You know, I had to print it out. I had to print it out, you know, and put it on my little desk. Do you know why it's nonsense? It's nonsense. I'm sorry to be harsh. I, I toned down a little bit. You could tell I feel very personally about this because I was an absolute footprint, you know, like evangelist. Everywhere I went, footprints, footprints, you know. It's nonsense because the picture of the Christian life is not... You walk with Jesus side by side until you need his help. We need his help always. Every day. Every second. Every moment. There is nothing about the Christian life for which you and I can say, I got this. Nothing. Have you come around to that truth yet? If Jesus is your co-pilot, where you only need his help, we would crash in clear skies. There's nothing for which we can say, Jesus, I got this, it's been one set of prints, his footprints from the very beginning. Do you understand that? See, this is the big thesis around which we've come around the sermon series. The big thesis around which we've come around this sermon series is this. The Christian life is only possible when the Holy Spirit who lives in us lives through us, this Christian life for us. The Christian life is only possible when Christ who lives in us lives through us. This Christian life for us. From A to Z, it's his footprints. Him carrying us and living through us. Everything. At all times. And, 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 this, and this teaching that's found in Scripture, it's not isolated here and there. It is literally all over the New Testament. When the Bible talks about living the Christian life, it pictures the Christian life as, listen, either you're walking according to the Spirit or you're walking according to the flesh. There is no third option. Every single one of us in this room is either walking according to the Spirit or walking according to the flesh. And this isn't isolated. It's found throughout the New Testament. Let me give you one example. Romans 8, that, 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 that chapter, that phenomenal chapter of the spirit-filled life. Paul says, therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 3, for what the law could not do, God did, sending his own son as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in flesh so that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Listen to what he says. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the spirit. This is not just a side thing. This is, we're talking about your posture, your entire approach to living your life. Either it's walking according to the spirit, walking according to the flesh. Don't you go, well, what, 
what, what is that? Here's what walking according to the Spirit is. Walking according to the Spirit is living my life sensitive to and dependent upon the inner promptings and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in such a way that His leading and His influence dominate my entire being. This picture of the Christian life Paul says, should be the norm for those who follow Jesus. Live your life sensitive to, dependent upon the inner promptings of the Holy Spirit in such a way that his leading and his influence dominate entire being. We, we learned a breathing exercise last Sunday. Let's do that. Ready? Here we go. It is breathe in. <gasps> I can't. And then you breathe out. But you can. <gasps> breathe in. I can't do this. <sighs> breathe out. But you can. <gasps> I can't breathe out. And here's what I said last week. We need to get to a place where when we, get, when we encounter those moments, the temptation, the struggle, as you look at your classroom, as you encounter that person you can't love, taking a moment to pause to acknowledge, Holy Spirit, I can't do this. I don't have the willpower. I don't have the strength. I don't have, I don't have what it takes to do this. Breathe out. But you can. I can't, but you can. And when we do that, what, we create space for the Holy Spirit to come and fill it. What we're doing is we're appropriating the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside. Listen, it's one thing to have the Holy Spirit inside of you, which he does. It's another thing entirely for you to acknowledge and appropriate it, his living presence in you. It's another thing entirely to acknowledge and appropriate. I can't handle this temptation right now. But you can. And you did. And you live inside of me. So I acknowledge in faith. You know what faith is? Faith isn't something you drum up inside of you. Faith is simply believing that God will do what he promised to do. Faith is not drum up, drum up. (laughs) Faith is not something. Faith is simply believing that God will do what he promised to do. So in faith you go, I appropriate your power that lives in me to enable me to forgive, to enable me to love, to enable me to overcome this addiction, to enable me to overcome this temptation, to enable me to fulfill this mission that you have given for my life. I can't but you can. It's getting to a place where this becomes so innate and normal and natural, it becomes almost like breathing. People ask me all the time, do we have time to do this? Of course you have time to do this. As I said last week, we all know those temptations that are coming. We all know those struggles. That are we all know what it is that just derail us from walking. We know what they are. They don't just come out of nowhere and be like, what? What was that? I didn't have time to appropriate it. No, you already know what they are. So you stop, pause, acknowledge. I can't, but you can. And appropriate in faith. It's how it lives inside of us. In such a way, lastly, that his influence is leading dominate our entire being. I'm telling you, the challenge for many of us is awareness. It's awareness. You don't ask, you don't need to ask him to come in. He's already there. The moment that you receive Christ as Lord and Savior, he comes into your life. It's about awareness. Watching. Sensing. And appropriating. His uh, walking according to the the other alternatives, walking according to the flesh. And truth be told, many of us, this characterizes our life. Walking according to the flesh is, is trusting in my strength and my determination. Oh, I'm going to do it. Even if it kills me to bring about whatever changes I feel need to take place. It's giving primary consideration. It's retaining control over my life. It's giving primary consideration to my needs, my desires, my appetites, and my fears. Can I just ask you something? Uh, is there sometimes a, a relationship between stupid decisions you've made and you making that decision driven by fear and insecurity? I don't know about you, but some of the worst decisions I've made in my life, lots of fear, 
of insecurity. It's walking according to... By the way, some of y'all don't know this. Right before I preach, you know what I do back there? <laughs> I'm not going to go, oh, I can't, but you can't. Oh, I can't, but you can't. Oh, I can't. Because you know what? I could come up here and do this sermon eloquently, but it will do absolutely nothing if not infused with his spirit. I can't do this. That's just one aspect of my life. I can't. What about you? Does this characterize your life? I can't, but you can. I can't, but you can. I can't, but you can. The question today. Oh, by the way, let me, let me just real quick. Do you, do, you know, do you know what the biggest obstacle to experiencing this spirit-filled life of walking according to the spirit is? Do you know what the biggest obstacle is? It starts with the Y. The next letter is O. And then the last letter is U. The biggest obstacle for this is, so, as soon as I say some of you are like, the biggest obstacle for you, as long as, I'm t- as long as you are sitting there right now going, I will do whatever if I determine and discipline, if, the, I, I, my fe- if that's your approach to life, I am telling you, you, biggest obstacle. <sighs> the thing is, for some of us, we are so stinking stubborn. I mean, you, you came out of the womb stubborn. We are, we, we are so, and we are so, we are so self-confident, self-dependent, so, oh, Lord, biggest obstacle, you, me. Ah, so, <laughs> where I'm going today, how do we become sensitive to the Spirit's prompting? How do you not become more familiar with the Spirit's leading? How do you become razor sharp in discerning? Pastor Michael, can I get some more water? Thank you. Bring like two. Thank you. How do you become razor sharp in discerning his promptings? And how, how, how do you and I hear his voice? How do you hear his voice so that you could have his leading and his influence dominate your entire being? You ready? How do you do that? How do you? Open your Bibles. Always, always going above and beyond. <laughs> God the Father. <laughs> God the Son. Oh, I'm going to go through all three before this is done, okay? I need him. And God the Holy Spirit. Did you catch what I said? How do you get better at sensing his leading? How do you get better at his promptings? How do you get better at all his influence? How do you get better at getting razor sharp and saying, God, what are you doing? The answer is open your Bibles. If you want to walk with the Spirit of God, the answer is get on your knees and open your Bible. If you want to be led by the Spirit of God, devote yourself to the Word of God. The extent to which you and I, see some of you are like, I don't want to hear this. Can you give me a quickie? Can you give me a microwave answer? Can you give me something that doesn't, you know, entail effort and sacrifice? No. The extent to which you and I are getting deeper and deeper into his revealed word will be the extent to which you will become sensitive to and familiar with the Spirit's voice. You say, why is that? Simple. This is a big idea. The Holy Spirit authored the Bible. Everybody say this with me. The Holy Spirit authored the Bible. Two passages real quick. We can look at more. Two passages real quick, 2 Peter 1 9. We also have this prophetic message. Peter's talking about the scriptures as something completely reliable. 
and you will do well to pay attention to it. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16. Commit this to memory, church, by the way. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, that is you and me, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul says that God literally breathed out each word in the Bible and the Holy Spirit guided each of the human authors infallibly in the recording of each word. And Peter and Paul say every word of Scripture is accurate. Every promise of Scripture is true. Is that good news? All 66 books full of them, always relevant, always. God gave you and me something in which he speaks to us with absolute clarity. When it comes to the voice of God, nothing compares to Scripture. God is always speaking clearly and always speaking reliably there. You want to hear the Spirit of God? Open your Bible. To which somebody says, mm, no, no. See, I struggle with that, Peter. I struggle with that because there's stuff in the Bible that I disagree with. There's stuff in the Bible that I wrestle with. Welcome to new community, by the way. To which, you know what I say? I don't go, it is God's word, you must submit them. No, I don't do that. When somebody says, there's stuff that I struggle with, I go, that's okay. Because that's the characteristic of a real personal relationship. What do I mean? If you're in a personal relationship with someone who never says anything against you, who never says anything to provoke you, who never says anything to confront you, who never says anything to argue with you, you don't have a personal relationship with that person. That person is a robot. That's not a personal relationship. It's a relationship which that person, for whatever he or she's reason, is hiding their true self. To realize, realize well, when you can say, I can't accept that in the Bible. I disagree with that in the Bible. That's okay. But my question to you is, do you then have a real relationship with God? Do you want a real relationship with God? Where does your God tell you things that you don't want to hear? Where does your God tell you and do things that you don't want to accept? Unless you have a God who does things and says things that you don't want to believe and accept. You don't have a personal relation. That, that, that God is a God of your making, a cardboard God. And that God, listen, will never change you. A God of your making will never change you. A God where you look in Scripture and go, I don't like that, boom. I don't like that, boom. I disagree with that, boom. I know better, boom. That God is a God of your making, and that God will never change you. Unless you have a God who could tell you things that you don't want to be true, you'll never be changed when he tells you things that are too good to be true. Like he forgives you. Like you're his son, you're his daughter, you're forgiven. You'll spend eternity with him. Where do you find that God? You find him in the Bible. I've said this before, I'm going to say it last time and then I'm done. The deepest need of your heart is for a God who is not the product of the deepest needs of your heart. Is this God someone who wrestles with you, argues with you, debates with you? Someone who comes and says... scripture how do you become more sensitive to the spirit's promptings get into the word how do you become more familiar with the spirit's leading get into the word how do you become razor sharp in discerning his promptings and leadings get into the word how do you hear his voice get into the word how do you hear his voice so that you could have his leading his influence dominate your entire being church say it with me get into the word this is why real quick it is absolutely dangerous just to pursue experiences of the Spirit apart from the Word. 
It is dangerous to just pursue experiences of the Spirit apart from the Word. More havoc and damage has been done in the church following the words God just said to me than any other phrase in Scripture. Any other phrase. God's Spirit, listen carefully, God's Spirit never operates independently of His Word. God's spirit never operates independently of his word. Why would the Holy, why would the Holy Spirit call the scriptures a completely reliable word, fully sufficient for every good work, and then just proceed to ignore it or abandon it or contradict it? He wouldn't. You want a fuller experience of the spirit? Open that word. On the other hand, on the other hand, I'm speaking to you, new community. Where the Spirit is not sought, there will be no deep experiential knowledge of this word. I say it again. Where the Holy Spirit is not actively sought and pursued, there will be no deep experiential knowledge of the word. There are some of us in this church, I've said it like two weeks ago, who think that the Holy Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Bible. And the way this functions in this church is something like this. If I could just learn enough, if I could just study enough, if I could just hear enough sermons, if I just had enough theology, if I could just intellectualize my way of the doubt, if I could just learn enough, I could, you can't. You need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. He is not only the author of objective truth because he wrote it, but the Holy Spirit is the author of subjective truth because it's the Holy Spirit that makes the Bible come live in your heart. Can I get an amen? That means if you're sitting there right now going, all I need is a Bible. All I need here are more sermons. If I can just study. If that is you, recognize that it is the Holy Spirit who not only wrote this, but makes the scriptures come alive in your life. Do you seek him? How many of you, whenever you open the Bible, begin by saying, oh, I can, but you can't. Holy Spirit, I can't understand this. I can't apply this. I don't know what to do with this until you come and open my eyes. Can I just ask you something real quick? I just, I wasn't going to go here. But how many of you have ever had the experience? You're just walking along, right? And you're in, and all of a sudden, a Bible verse is brought to mind. A Bible verse just brought to mind that addresses a question or a need or brings about comfort. How many of you? Raise your hands. Look around. Look around. Look at that. Look at that. 80%. The whole, you know what that is? Who's that? That's who. Say it with me. That's the Holy Spirit. By the way, <clears throat> I have never, ever had the Holy Spirit bring to mind the Bible passage that I didn't commit to memory. You got to give him something to work with, people. <laughs> it's common sense, ain't it? <laughs> this ain't never going to happen. You're walking around, oh, boom. Oh, my gosh. He is reciting Genesis 1, Viverveda. That never happens. The Holy Spirit takes the words you have committed to memory and saturates your life with. How many of you also had experiences where you're reading the Bible and all of a sudden you understand it in a different light? And it applies. Who? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Do you need him? Oh, good Lord. Do I need him? Oh, good Lord. The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. That's true that the Holy Spirit primarily speaks us through the word, guides us through the word, leads us through the word, prompts. Are you convinced yet? Say amen. Yeah, are you convinced yet? Holy Spirit, through the word. By the way, right now, some of us, right now, some of us are like feeling really like, oh man, Peter, because I'm, this is hard. I don't read the Bible often. I don't enjoy reading the Bible often. I can't remember the last time the Bible. For some of us, it'd be like, you go home then and go, I know that. I know that. And I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty. I'm not saying to make you, 
I am trying to motivate you to realize how vital this is to this thing called the walk with the Spirit. This aspect that the Spirit speaks through the Word, for me, has made it really simple. Everybody say simple. (laughs) Really simple. (sighs) To help people around this question. Peter, how do I discern God's will? How do I discern God? How do I discern God's guidance? How do I discern what he wants me to do? And at this church, having been a pastor for 12 years, for 20-somethings, good Lord, every week I get this question. Just these last two weeks, how do I know which job I should take? Should I stay in Chicago or should I move to another city? By the way, don't come ask me that question because I will be like, thus say it, the Lord, you need to stay in Chicago. <laughs> don't, don't, seriously, don't ask me about that question. Ask me about others, but don't do the whole, should I stay in Chicago? Yeah, but you didn't hear the, you didn't hear the rest. I don't need to hear the rest. You need, um, should I date person A? Should I date person B? And this might freak you out, but I'm going to date both. <laughs> do I go to medical school or do I open that orphanage in India? How do I decide which ministry to volunteer in? Should I pursue a career or enter full-time ministry? How does the Spirit guide us, Peter? How does the Spirit lead us in discerning His will for our lives? How do we know which prompt things are from God? How do we know which prompt things are from the Holy Spirit? How do we know? Anybody asking this question, by the way? Raise your, raise, yeah, so, okay, okay. So here's what I would say. I would say, first and foremost, we need to get over the confusion and the unbiblical, unhealthy things that are in our heads. Let me give you examples. I once heard someone say, a famous pastor, that anytime you have a restlessness in your spirit, that means that you are getting out of God's will. To which I said, I am type A personality, overly analytical, which means, ask my wife, restlessness is my middle name. <laughs> Peter Restlessness Hong. I am always, I am always restless. Do you really think that restlessness is a prompting and a sign that it's from the Spirit of God? What about peace? (laughs) This is going to offend some of you like I offended you through the footprints poem. Because some of us grew up in church. Like, I need to be quick about this because I need to get to the music. Some of us are like, peace in my heart. Let me tell you something. As a pastor for the last 20 some years, I have heard people who made wretched decisions in life, and they told me flat out, I had complete peace, Pastor Peter, in my heart. Please understand that one of the things that sin has done is that some ways it's dulled our senses so that we could be doing something completely outside of God's will, and you and I will feel totally at peace. Let's just be straight up. Some of y'all just enjoy it. Peace is not, oh, I'm in God's will. You could have perfect peace and be, it's getting uncomfortable already. Let me keep pushing. Vice versa. I've made decisions that were completely out of God's will where I was filled with terror and anxiety and fear. Give me an example. You're sitting in it. When I planted this church, ask my wife. I was angst-ridden, filled with worry. Is this going to happen? I'm going to fail. I don't know what I'm doing. Fear and anxiety. But what, what, I, uh, the night before he used to be crucified, Jesus is in the center of God's will to die for the sins of the world, and he is what? Angst-ridden. God might be calling you to do something, smack in the center of his will, and everything within you is going to say, no! And God might be going, yeah. But what about, you know, Peter, that whole peace that surpasses all understanding? You know, one of my pet peeves is when people use scripture out of context, right? That whole peace surpasses all understanding. You know what that's about? That context is, that that peace that surpassed all understanding, Philippians 4, in case you're wondering, that comes from reflecting on God's fatherly promises to provide for us, not as a warm fuzzy from the Spirit that he's happy about a particular decision we've made. That peace that surpassed all understanding is a result of your trust in him. Not as a warm fuzzy confirmation. That peace 
often comes on the other side of obedience. One last, open doors. Open doors. By the way, I'm talking about all of this in two, three weeks. What about open doors, Peter? God, just open door for me. That may be true sometimes, but not every open door is from God. Satan will give you open doors. Can I get him? Yeah. You, are you kidding me? You ever read the story of Jonah? Jonah chapter 1, it says, remember God calls Jonah to go to you know, uh, Nineveh. It says, as Jonah's running from God, the Bible literally says this, there happened to be a ship going to Tarshish. There happened to be a ship going to Tarshish. Imagine Jonah walking up the ticket window of, you have any, how many ships going like the opposite of Nineveh? You do? Jehovah Jireh, my provider. That's exactly what God wants. Some of, I mean, some of you all are sitting there going, well, God opened that door. He happened to be there. Uh-uh-uh. Well, God opened that door. You know, how do you know it's from the Lord? How do you know? Because it just happened to, oh. Again, I'll talk more about this. Sorry to just throw this out there and go, you got to see more. No, no, no. I'm going to, not every open door in your life is confirmation. That somehow God is in it. So then how does the Spirit of God guide us? How does the Holy Spirit lead and prompt us in the ways of God? The God, the Spirit primarily guides us through his word. Does the Holy Spirit, listen, sometimes lead through unexplainable urgings? Yes, and I'll talk about that in a few weeks. Does he sometimes speak through people? Absolutely. I'll talk about that later. Does he sometimes speak through open doors and closed doors? We find that throughout the book of Acts. All of those are true. But the most reliable way in which the Spirit guides and leads is through the Bible. Now, now, question is this. How does he do that? How does the Holy Spirit author of the Bible lead? And, and this discovery for me, this, this discovery for me was so life-transforming and so life-changing that even if I could talk about this all the days of my life to that 20-something or even that 30-something was like, I'm, I need to make some decisions, what do I do? This has grounded me and anchored me. Every time we find the phrase, the will of God in the Bible, do you know, do you know that it talks about shaping of your moral character and not? directions for what you ought to do. Every instance of God's will in the scriptures, it says this is God's will, and it talks about moral character, who you become, not directions for life. Let me give you two real quick examples, and then we're going to apply this. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. And the reason why, if you, if you need to like leave in two minutes, catch this before you leave. The reason why the Bible spends way more time focused on the type of people we should be and less on the specifics of what God wants you to do is because when we become the kind of people that God wants us to be, we will ultimately do what God wants us to do. The reason why the Bible says over God's will be conformed to the likeness of Jesus is because when you and I get conformed to the likeness of Jesus, we will begin to do what he wants us to do. Or put another way, as we begin to think like God thinks, we will begin to do what God does. This is such common sense to me. Janice, not even like, whoa, inside. Even the people are like on the phones tweeting it. Is that, listen, everybody look up here. Don't, 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 just look up here for a second. Unless you're making plans. Look up here for a second. This is common sense to me. I, I'm serious. I felt silly going, this is not even that deep. 
Because God comes along and says, you want to know who I am, what I'm like? You want to know the innermost parts of my being? I wrote this thing. And on top of that, just for good measure, I put my spirit in you so that you could, you know, make so that the truth could come alive in your heart. So I've given you the written word and I planted the spirit to make the word come alive in your heart. And all of us are going, what's your will? What's your will? I don't know. What's your will? God's going, read the book. And let the Holy Spirit speak. Because as we become the kind of people that God wants us to be, we will begin to do the kinds of things that God wants us to do. I'm sorry. This is such common sense to me. I don't know why I'm apologizing for that. I shouldn't say I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. As I saturate, as you saturate yourself in Scripture and Revelation by going deeper and deeper into it, we begin to think like God thinks and then do what God does. Here's what we have access to. Let me tell you. We have access to what's called the providential will of God. We have access to what's called the moral will of God. We have access to then God leading us personally. The entirety of Scripture is Revelation categorized into the providential will of God, the moral will of God, and the personal will of God. What do I mean? Providential will of God. Those things, you don't have to pray about it. Those are sovereign purposes of God where God says, you don't need to ask, you don't need to pray. I'm just going to do it. This is part of my plan and my perfect will for this world. I'm just going to do it. Sovereign, providential will of God. We find scripture passages like this. Well, when the time had set fully come, God sent this son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship as a part of God's providential will, which, by the way, is filled, filled in scripture. Providential will, what God's going to do. As a part of his providential will, God sends his son, into Jesus, his son Jesus into the world to save the world. Providential will of God that you find all over Scripture. You don't need to pray about it. Nobody needed to pray. God, will you send your son to redeem and save the world? God says, I'm going to do it. Nobody needs to ask. Here's the powerful truth. All throughout history, all throughout history, God has used human beings as instruments to fulfill his providential will. All throughout history, God comes time and time again and says, I've got my sovereign purposes, and to do that, I'm going to use people. Look at one example. Luke one thirty, the angel says to Mary, don't be afraid. You found favor with God. You'll, you'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. And God says, I'm going to send my son into the world, part of my providential sovereign purposes, to redeem and save all creation. But I'm not just going to do it. I'm going to use a human instrument to carry out that will. And Mary is used by God to fulfill God's sovereign purposes. Other examples God fulfills his promise to bless all the nations through Abraham. God fulfills his promise to free Israel through Moses. Now, Peter, why are you talking about that? Here's the reason why. You ready? I'm going to put it up here. The more familiar you and I become with God's providential will, that is what God is already going to do. God says, I'm going to do this regardless of what you say. God says, I'm going to do this as a part of my larger plan to bring glory to me and save the world. The more familiar you and I become to God's providential will, the easier it is to discern. More familiar we become. God, what are you up to? What have you done in the past? And God, what are you going to do? In the, the more familiar we become, easier. Second, a large portion of Scripture, having access to God, is what people call, theologians call, the moral will of God. Moral will of God. When we think of moral will, it's commands. It's the do's and don'ts part of Scripture that are clearly spelled out for us. We don't need commentaries. We don't need interpreters. We don't need pastors to go up there and explain. Let me give you some examples. First Thessalonians 4.3, we read part of this. It's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable for God to not call us to be impure but to live a holy life. So when I sit down with somebody who says, Pastor Peter, is that okay for me to um, sleep with my girlfriend? I say, no. I know the culture thinks it's okay. The world says it's okay. But God says be sexually pure. God has clearly laid out his will for us in this area. You don't need to pray. You need to obey. Here's another moral will of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Is it God's will for me to give thanks? Is it God's will that I pray? Yes. Moral will of God. 
laid out for us. Don't need commentaries. Don't need interpretations. Do you know why I've spent this much time talking about this? Here's the reason why. For many of us, the areas in which we're seeking for God's will is already clearly laid out in Scripture. This is weighty. For some of us in here that are saying, God, I need your will. What's your will? God says, I've already laid it out in Scripture for you. And there's some of us that are using this, what's God's will for my life, as an excuse for inaction and disobedience. Why are you praying about what to do with that relationship? When what God's will is that that relationship should have ended like eight months ago. Why are you still praying? Why are some of you praying? God, should I share the gospel with that guy? You don't need to pray for, you need to pray for boldness and courage is what you need to pray for. It's God's will. Some of us, we've been praying about whether we should forgive somebody. God said, forgive as I have forgiven. Why are you praying about whether you should forgive? And I could go on and on. Do you know why? Do you know why? Do you know why I am? Do you know why I am so passionate about this? Because for many in our church, and this isn't just guesswork, this is conversations, many of us are saying, what is your will for me in that area? God says, I've made it clear. And here's the key we need to come around. The more obedient we become to God's moral will, what God has laid out for us, the better we are able to discern what God wants us to do in those specific situations. Church, I love you and I care about you. That's why I'm saying this to you. For many of you, the direction, the discernment that you're waiting for, God's saying, I've given you clearly what my will is. Why are you asking me about things you don't know when you have no intentions of doing things that you already do know. Why are you asking about things? Things that you don't know. When you have no intentions of doing what it is that he has revealed to you, is it not that we... Church, I just... and I got to be honest here, ready? For me, I... This part right here is a struggle because I could just sense, and it might be the Holy Spirit, it might be kimchi, I don't know what it is. But I just sense right now, I just sense right now, there is this thing right here in this room, this thing of, some of you are just going, no, because, 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 listen, because, because God's Spirit is coming to you and saying, it's about obedience, it's about obedience, it's about obedience. God doesn't play hide and seek with regard to what he wants us to do. The more familiar we become with God's providential will, what he's up to, what he's going to do, and the more obedient we become and surrender we become to the moral will, what God has clearly laid out in Scripture, the more confident, the more discerning, the more razor sharp we get in discerning his personal will for our lives. This is why Scripture spends way more time talking about God's will, about what he wants you to become, the kind of person he wants you to be, and less about specifics of what it is that you want to hear from. Being familiar, saturated with God's providential, what he's up to, what he's going to do, and being obedient and surrendered to what God has laid out paves the way for you and I to hear, prompt, sense he's leading. Go here. Do that. This is the reason why. This is why the primary way, primary way that book of Proverbs describes the will of God is more like a path than a door. 
Some of you were here for that sermon series in Proverbs. Check it out if you haven't. It was about a year and a half, two years ago. The door mindset says college A leads to God's will. College B leads to God's wrath. Date person A, I get married, have happy life. Date person B, and I'm single for the... It doesn't worry that way. God says that his will is more like a path. That as you walk in the ways of wisdom and avoid the path of folly, and God will direct our path and establish our lives. Let me end with this. I don't have CC here to go. CC, come on up. Grace, I was going to call you up, but let me end with this. You ready, you guys? Let me, let me share a promise to cling to. Matt, sorry, I'm going to. Let me share your promise to cling to and a challenge to embrace. The whole of what we're talking about, what we've been talking about, is this being led by the Spirit, following, because He doesn't give us assignments, directions. It's a relationship. He calls us to follow. So we follow. But in order to be led by someone, there needs to be trust, even to the point of dependency. Some of you that are sitting and going, okay, I've got some more immediate decisions to make. Some, some things where I really need his guidance. Really need, you know, <laughs> like I brought him. He's sitting next to me right now. What do I do? I, I'm not going to give you a magic, because if I did, I would basically go back on everything I talked about today. But let me leave you with the promise to cling to and a challenge to embrace. And it comes right out of Proverbs 3, 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You know what that verse literally says? He says, don't lean on your ability to figure out the will of God, but lean on his willingness to guide you. Don't lean on your ability. Stop trying to figure, oh, good Lord, stop it. Don't lean on your ability to figure stuff out, but his willingness to guide you. If you and I are ever going to get to the places that God wants us to go, it's because of his leadership and not our followership. Do you get that? Verse 6, in all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Read that with me. Verse 6, ready? In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your... You know what I love about that? He's so clear. There's a God part, and there's a your part. There's a God part, and there's a your part. Do you see what God's part is? He will make your path straight. That's God's part. He will direct our paths. That's his promise. What's our part? If we will submit to him. Do you know where our stress comes from? It comes from taking on God's responsibility as well as yours. Stop it. How many of us are sitting right now stressed out because you have taken on God's part? To direct the path and make it straight. Instead of focusing on your part, God says, why are you carrying the burden of both? Why are you trying to figure out your path and straight? That's not your part. You know what I did in my Bible? Can you, I literally put, next, you see it? I literally put like lines to the fight. And all you ways submit to him, that's my part. And he'll make your path straight. Your part, submit to him. His part, make your path straight. When you wander over to his part, he goes, get the heck over to your side. Grace, does this make sense? Why are you wandering over to, I'm going to make my path straight. That's not your job. Even if you tried, you couldn't do it. Do your part. Okay, that's easy, Peter. No, it's not. Because <laughs> you know what to submit. Here's what it means, and I'm almost done. You know what it means to submit? My experience of being led by the Holy Spirit completely changed the day I stopped praying this. God, what's your will for my life? I stopped praying that. And I began to pray this. God, I'm yours. Send me. Use me. All that you've done for me, I am totally available to you. Send me. Use me for your purposes. Amen. The moment that I stopped praying, what's your will? What's your, and the moment that I started praying, God, send me. Use me. After all that you've done, 
send me, use me. However, when I just started saying that is when the Holy Spirit came and began to lead. Some of you, some of you are getting emotional right now because you, your approach to this point has been, I want to know, Peter, what's his will? And deep down inside, you don't want to know because deep down inside, you've basically gone to said, God, I want to know your will for consideration. Because, you know, I really have, and God says, if that's your posture, you can't hear him. Some of you aren't ready. That's okay. But some of you are ready to finally come and say, I'm not going to pray. What's your will? I'm just going to go, send me. Use me for your kingdom purposes. My life is yours. My life is yours. Then his promise I've met brand new Christians who heard from God so clearly, it freaks me out. Do you know why? Because they haven't been around Christians long enough to learn that game. I want to know your will. Not really. I want to know your will. Not really. I want to know your will. They've basically come and said, all I know is you say, you did that for me. Send me. Use me. I'm yours. How many of you are ready to pray that prayer today? Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. This is a seminal moment. I do not take this lightly. This is a seminal moment. If you are not ready, you sit your butt down. But if you are ready, if you are sick and tired of this, so what you will, and you're basically saying, God, I, I want to walk, follow, be led. And you're here this morning and saying, it's no longer about, is this in seminary? I got to figure. It's about, use me, send me, I'm yours. My brothers, my sisters, if you're standing right now, just put your arm out like this, please. I am so excited about this adventure that those of you, 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 you will begin to sense anew his power, his life, his leading and his guidance that may not have been familiar to you up until today. If you are standing right now and you're saying, God, I'm tired of asking your will for my life. I'm tired of trying to figure stuff out, trying to use my ingenuity, wisdom, and network. I'm just simply saying, send me. Use me for your sovereign kingdom purposes. in your own heart as you're standing. And those of you that are sitting too, I don't know where you are at this in your journey, but man, be honest with him. He loves you. He is for you. He is with you. He so desperately wants you to know of intimately his leading. But if you're not ready, acknowledge where you are. Where you are today. Your fears, your anxiety. Those of you that are standing, in your own heart, in your own heart, in your own words, the prayer that I just said, pray that in your heart for the next minute or so, just over and over in your heart. Send me. Use me.